Shabbat Shalom, Baruch Hashem, Yahuwah. Bless the name of Yahuwah and greetings to all of you, the 12 tribes scattered abroad out there in the nations. We are so blessed to have you today. Give us some thumbs up and please do subscribe to the ministry here on this channel. And remember, you can always connect at TorahToTheTribes.com and forward slash connect. We have got groups going virtually on the Zoom platform six days a week. And I believe next week we start our financial stewardship that you can find all about on TorahToTheTribes.com forward slash connect. I am so blessed to be here. So blessed to have you in the chat. And those of you in who hit the comments section afterwards, I am so proud in Yahuwah of some of you that ministered through the comments section last week to a brother who was feeling hopeless. And I just read some of those comments and it just really, really touched my heart and how you were admonishing one another and to see the comment section on a platform that is, you know, so worldly and then have people come in and use it for such glory. That was good stewardship and I know that is what it's all about. So thank you, those of you that did do that ministry in the comments section last week. Do it again, do it again, and do it again. We are in Acts chapter 7, Maaseh Shlechim, the Acts of the Apostles better the acts of the Ruach HaKodesh. And today, specifically, we get to see Zephaniah, Zephaniah in the Hebrew, and of course, the anglicized name, Stephen. We're at the War of the Witnesses. The War of the Witnesses. This does, of course, relate so much to our day and our time because we are now in the full end cycle of the war of the witnesses. We live in a world full of false witness testimony, which the majority go along with the false witness testimony and it only leaves a narrow road and a small remnant left to stand and if you can still stand stand and we shall see the glory of Yahweh in our day because we're living in the end times Acts chapter 7 and then the Kohen Haggadah said, Then do you so hold these things? We are now entering in to the greatest, in my opinion, the greatest speech in Scripture. Against all odds, against all threats of enemy combatants, a.k.a. the Sanhedrin, Zephania, Stephen, stands and gives the greatest oration in Scripture. We are going to walk through today the history of our people, the history of our faith. And I hope to be able to bring it into a Malkitzedic reality for you today, for you end-time remnant saints, because this is amazing as Peter now begins his history lesson of the truth of the word and the reality of Scripture. Of course, he starts out with the call of Abraham. Then he goes into the history of the patriarchs in 
Mitzrayim. Then how Yahuwah delivers Israel by the hand of Moshe Rabbeinu. But no, Israel would not heed. And they become fully rebellious against Yahuwah. And we now see this is the magnificent story of Scripture. But Yahuwah does not and never intended to fully dwell in a tabernacle, a tent. It was always about a promise, not about where Yahuwah is located because he is greater and bigger than our reality. And ultimately, the problem always arises when people are stiff-necked and they resist the Ruach HaKodesh. This is all part of Stephen's address, and it cut them to the core, and they ended up doing a criminal act against the righteous. In the first verse, it is written, Then the Kohen Haggadah said, Then do you hold these things? And Zephaniah, Stephen, he said, Men and brothers, fathers, listen! The Elohim of glory, he appeared to our father, Avraham, when he was in Mesopotamia, before he even lived in Haran. And he said to him, Go out now from your land and from your kindred, and come into the land which I shall show you. And then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And from there, when his father was dead, he moved into this land in which you now dwell. Your faith will never be strong. It will never Take root, and you will always struggle until you cross over and become a Hebrew. That is what it means to become a Hebrew, who is one like Avraham, who crosses over from a pagan soil that does not bear a bounty of fruit because the soil has no goodness in it. And he crosses over to a soil of promise, of abundance, of richness, where the seed will grow into a multitude of nations and you will bring forth a bounty and a harvest and a crop in your life. Unless you realize that you are Israel, a multi-ethnic tribe scattered in the nations, and you identify as Israel, you will never cross over and you'll always struggle with the world. Come out of her, my people. This is the story of our faith. Because Avraham, after he experienced Malkizedek in Bereshit, Genesis chapter 11, Yahuwah appears to him in Genesis chapter 12, and we find that Yahuwah appears to Avraham and he gives him the unconditional covenant, no conditions attached, because Yahuwah says that he swears by his oath that this is an unconditional, unconditional oath promise. And of course, we find the fulfillment of this in the Malkitzedic Psalm of Psalm 110, verse 5. Yahuwah swears a promise an unconditional promise, promise in Genesis chapter 12, and he swears by no one higher than himself. I will make you a plentiful, bountiful nation, so much so greater than the stars in the heaven and the sands on the seashore. And Abraham goes away, just like you and I often would, 
and he trot, trotters along, and he comes back in Genesis chapter 15 after thinking about it and having a little bit of a crisis of faith. Well, how do I know <laughs> that you're really going to do that for me? He has a crisis of faith. He doubts. So Yahweh then says, well, okay, I will now give you a conditional arm of the covenant because you need some kind of proof because you don't trust me. Genesis 12 is an unconditional covenant because it is sworn by Yahuwah himself. By no other name, but Yahuwah swears by no one higher than himself. Psalm 110 verse 5 and Hebrews chapter 6 verse 13. Yahuwah swears to himself by himself, there is no greater. But Avraham goes away, rethinks about it, and he says, well, how do I really know that you're going to do this? So Yahweh says, okay, I'll make a conditional arm to this covenant in Genesis 15. What you're going to need to do is you're going to need to flay open some pieces. And you're going to flay open the pieces, and you're going to walk down in the middle, and that means that you're going to cut the covenant, and therefore we've got witness. So what happens? There's this conditional arm. But it has, now in Genesis 15, it has a death penalty position attached to it. Meaning, somebody's going to have to die. That's what the representation of the flayed open pieces is. Somebody's going to have to die. But it isn't Avraham that walks through the pieces. It is the flaming torch and the smoking burning oven. It is, in fact, a magnificent show for us of the Son of Glory. Because what happens is now there is a condition to the covenant. It is now the Malkizedic covenants of promise coming into our full story that Stephen is now orating before whole, the whole of Israel. Now, 430 years after this Genesis 15 covenant is ratified, when? When they come out of Egypt... They come to the mountain 430 years after Genesis 15. Some people say that Israel was in Egypt for 430 years. They weren't. The Israelites were in Egypt for 210 years. You can check that with the genealogy of Exodus chapter 6. It's 430 years from the promise. Now, the tribe of Ephraim, according to the book of Yasher in the 70th chapter, they left and misread the prophecies and they left Egypt for 30 years too soon. They misread this prophecy, just like the Messianic movement. Many people have misread the prophecy and they've already gone back to the nation, to the state of Zionist Israel, which isn't biblical Israel, and they're going to die in the wilderness because that has to be judged first. And Ephraim was slaughtered, the tribe of Ephraim, they were slaughtered in the wilderness because they misjudged the prophecy. They came out 30 years too early. Because 430 years later, from this promise of Genesis chapter 15, we end up in Exodus chapter 19. The book of the covenant, the ratification of this very covenant that was promised to Abraham 430 years. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Because in Genesis chapter 16, there is a sign witness to this covenant. 
So Genesis 12 is an unconditional covenant that Yahuwah swears by himself. But Abraham, having a doubt, comes back to Yahuwah and says, how do I know? Yahuwah then makes a conditional contract or arm of the covenant and says, okay, now that you need some kind of witness, it will have a death penalty position, the flaying open of the pieces. Meaning, if this covenant is broken, then somebody's got to die. And that's what happens. 430 years is the promise. And then we proceed. There's a sign of the covenant. The signature, of course, is Genesis chapter 16. It is the circumcision sign that is attached to this covenant. Specifically, Genesis 15, the conditional arm. Okay, it's very important we understand this. Now, all Israel enter the covenant, Genesis 16, both male and female. How? How do you enter the covenant? By passing as seed through the circumcised organ. That's how you enter into the covenant. Passing as seed, fulfilling the promises of Abraham, you pass as seed through the circumcised organ. Now since, question, now since Yahushua did not pass through seed, um, he didn't go through Joseph's organ, did he? You may have to ask the question, well, how did Yahushua come part of the covenant then? He didn't pass through the cutting. Oh, but he did. Genesis chapter 15, verse 7. Yahushua is the burning torch that passed through the cutting of the flesh, pieces paying the death penalty position. Remember, Abraham rejoiced to see my day, Yahushua said. What day? That day. Circumcision was always about passing through the pieces. The cutting of the pieces. The cutting of the organ was always to represent Yahushua passing through the pieces. Does that make sense so far? Let me continue. Yahushua is the burning torch that passed through the circumcised, if you will, cutting of the flesh pieces of Genesis 15. And therefore he is the one that is liable to die if the covenant is broken because he is the signatory guarantee. I'm talking contract law, covenant law here. He is the signatory Signature guarantee that if this is breached, that he's the responsible party. This is our faith that has not been taught to us. This is why the Malkizedic priesthood is so important. Abraham, of course, we know from the New Testament, Yahushua said, rejoice to see my day. Yahushua's circumcision was at Genesis chapter 15. And it was for all who came through a, listen, Yahushua's circumcision of Genesis 15 was for all who came through a non-circumcised organ. And even a circumcised organ 
after the golden calf breach. And I'll tell you why. The covenant sign of circumcision has been misappropriated by Judaism. And they say, oh, it's the sign of Abraham. No. Covenant circumcision is the sign of the contract, the covenant of Genesis 12 and 15. It's like a wedding ring. But once they breached the contract by building the golden calf, they were divorced, Jeremiah tells us. So therefore, what use is the wedding ring? The contract is broken. You've just committed adultery. Therefore, they did not circumcise in the wilderness after the golden calf for a 40-year period because they knew that they were cir- could circumcise into nothing because the covenant was broken. Does that make sense? So later in Joshua chapter 4, when they do circumcise, it is not got to do with Genesis 16. It is literally a land entrance token. It's different. That is why we have to understand. Myself, growing up in Europe, as seed, I passed through an uncircumcised organ. Well, what does that mean for me? Well, just the same as anybody who even passed through a circumcised organ. Because it's broken the sign of circumcision, that sign connected to Genesis 15 is irrelevant, which is why Paul teaches it. Circumcision just is a land entrance token. That's why our circumcision is in What does it say in Colossians 2, chapter 11? You are completed in the burning torch and the flaming oven. Who is the head of all principality and power, in whom also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of the one who passed between the pieces. Paul was brilliant, and he explains it to us. Yahushua, of course, the burning torch, the pass through the cutting of the flesh pieces, paying the death penalty position. Yahushua's circumcision of Genesis 15 was for all who came through a non-circumcised organ, and even a circumcised organ after, key point, after the golden calf breach, meaning we enter through faith, in his death penalty position and his ascended body. It makes sense to me. Does it make sense to you? Or am I getting too Malkizedic from the beginning? Look, the torch that passed between the pieces, the Hebrew word here, I love it, I love it, is the Hebrew word abar. Abar. It's the Greek word, That Hebrew word abar is translated for passed between the pieces, as in the torch, the passed between the pieces. The Hebrew word is abar. The Greek that the Septuagint translated it in the New Testament is parakomi, and guess where it appears? I'm not making this stuff up. It appears in Matthew chapter 26, verse 39. Listen to this. I've got goosebumps. I got the Ruach HaKodesh goosebumps. 
And he went a little further. And he went a little further. And he fell on his face. And he prayed saying, oh my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. What? Yahuwah. Yahusha is praying to his father. Yahuwah, let the covenant between the pieces, the Malkitzedic death penalty, let it pass from me if it be possible. Yahuwah says, it's not possible to pass from you. And for the prophecies to be fulfilled, because you are the signatory that passed through the pieces, you must proceed in the death that I require of you to bring in the children of Israel scattered abroad, you and me. It is the same Hebrew word in Matthew 26, verse 39 as it is in Genesis chapter 15, passing between the pieces. If that doesn't touch your heart, then maybe this will. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7, For in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying, so much so that he cried blood in the garden and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard in that he feared through being a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. He paid the death penalty position of Genesis 15 right there. And Galatians chapter 3 verse 17. And this I saw, that the covenant that was confirmed by Yahweh through Messiah, right then, the law, that came 430 years later, cannot nullify the Abrahamic covenant. Did you catch that? The law that came after the golden calf breach, the Levitical law, the book of the law, cannot nullify the Abrahamic covenant of Genesis 12 and 15, ratified by the blood in Exodus 19, the book of the covenant. It was always about the book of the covenant. The law that was added for transgression is not how we enter into covenant with Yahuwah. That's the schoolmaster to train us because we were stiff-necked and rebellious and we rejected the prophets. This is amazing stuff because the book of the law that came 430 years later is not, is not connected at all to the covenant of promise, the book of the covenant, so that it should make the promise of no effect. For if the inheritance is of the law, the book of the law, it is no more by word of promise. The book of the law came as a consequence of the golden calf. It wasn't a promise, but the book of the covenant came as a consequence of promise, did it not? Genesis 12, Genesis 15, the sign of circumcision, 
and then its ratification at the mountain, encapsulated in what we call the Ten Commandments. That's our inheritance. They are called the inheritance covenants that are part of the Torah. Yahweh gave it to Abraham by promise. And Galatians says again in the 19th verse, what purpose then does the law serve? That's the book of the law. It was added because of transgression. So the part of Torah that was 430 years later was added because of the golden calf breach until the zirah, the seed, should come to whom the promise was made. Once Yahushua came, the seed, then he could die and pay the death penalty position of our transgressions and then we could come back under the promises of the book of the covenant. This is how we are to live. This is amazing stuff. But I must continue on in this wonderful, wonderful oration of Stephen's. And he goes down into the ninth verse. And now he tells us about how Joseph, of course, was betrayed by his brethren and sold down into Mitzrayim. And in Acts chapter 7, in the ninth verse, it is said, it is written, And being jealous of Joseph, the patriarch sold Joseph into Egypt. But guess what? In his darkest hours... He cried out to Yahweh when he felt abandoned. And I know so many of you feel abandoned, as I often do. And I cry out to Yahweh. Why, Father? Why am I going through this? Where are you? And yes, Yahweh is with us in the trial, in the fire, in the pain, in all of our trials. Yahweh is there. And Yahuwah was with him, and he plucked him out from all of his afflictions. Yahuwah will pluck you out of all of your afflictions. I assure you, if you continue to press into him, he has plucked me out of all of my afflictions. Even when they have seemed unsurmountable, when Pharaoh has been at my back and the waters have been before my face, and there seems no way out, then I face my fears, and Yahuwah then appears in my life, and miracles happen. And you stand still, and you see the glory of Yahweh in your life. Yahweh will give you favor, just like he did with Joseph. He will give you wisdom against the pharaohs of this world. And we know, Acts chapter 7, verse 15, that 75, according to the Septuagint, went down into Egypt, which is why you seem to have the discrepancy between 70 in the Masoretic text, and 75 in the book of Acts. 75 is correct, okay, because that is Septuagint. Acts chapter 7 and the 15th verse now, and Jacob went down into Mitzrayim, Egypt, and he died, he and our fathers. And they were carried over into Shechem, and they were laid in the tomb that Abraham bought for a price of silver from the sons of Emor, the father of Shechem. So Abraham was wise. He knew that later on in life that that area would be disputed. But he paid a price for it. He didn't want to accept it for free because he wanted to convey that conveyance. He wanted it to him. Therefore, there had to be a transaction. And that assures, of course, 
proper rights and proper possession to that land which we are inheritors of as the children of Abraham. And now I stop for a sip because we get into Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu in Acts chapter 7 and the 20th verse. Remember now as we get into Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses, did I just blow your eardrums, Moshe? Oh, that's my Moshe, who's named after Moshe Rabbeinu. And people ask me, you know, why is my name, my middle? Well, actually, Matthew Moshe, Matthew hyphen Moshe. Well, I'm named after my son, which is pretty cool. See, my son's named after Moshe Rabbeinu, but I'm named after my son. Try and figure that one out. Oh, it's a miracle. Moshe Rabbeinu. There are three, 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 forty. Oh, you can't do that sign. Oh, watch out. Um, there are three 40-year periods of Moshe's life, Okay. Three forty-year periods, and they correspond to the three prophetic epochs of the Bible. Think about this; it'll make total sense to you. The first forty years correspond to the patriarchal period. Think about it. The second forty years correspond to Israel being in the wilderness, because the second period of Moshe Rabbeinu's life, he was in the wilderness. He was in Midian, right? The third 40 years correspond to the time of the kings and the prophets in the scripture. Then that period ceases and Israel finally gets into enter into the promised land, not under Yehoshua, but under Yehushua. You see the, cor- the correlation between the three 40-year periods of Moshe Rabbeinu's life, how they are really biblical epochs from the time of the patriarchs, from the time of being in the wilderness, akin to Midian, and then the time of the kings and the prophets that ceased, and then they went into the promised land led by Joshua, and we get to go into the promised land led by Yahushua. So this is amazing stuff. Acts 7, verse 20. In this time, Moshe was born and was beautiful to Yahuwah, who was brought up three months in his father's house. And of course, when I saw my son come out of my wife's womb, I saw him, and I'm going to embarrass him. Look at me, Moshe. And he was so beautiful that we just decided, oh, we have to call him Moshe. Well, it wasn't quite like that, but he was and still is the apple of my eye. And what a blessing. And he being cast out, Pharaoh's daughter took him up and reared him for a son to her. And Moshe was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. And when a period of 40 years was fulfilled to him, it arose in his heart to look upon his brothers, the sons of Israel. And seeing one being wrong, he defended him and avenged him who was oppressing. And he struck the Egyptian. For he thought his brothers would understand that Yahweh would give them deliverance by his hand. But they didn't understand. 
And the next day he appeared to them while fighting and he urged them to peace saying, men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong one another? But he who wronged his neighbor thrust him away saying, who made you and a ruler and a judge over us? Will you not kill me as you did the Egyptian yesterday? You see, this right here serves as a harbinger for Moshe's actions. Because later, he avenges and liberates Israel from their oppressors, doesn't he? So this is really very prophetic, this action. Moshe had a problem like I have a problem, and like often many of you have a problem. We misinterpret our mission. We know that Yahuwah has his hand upon our lives. We sometimes, well, at least I do, misinterpret the mission. And usually we get prayer and some good counsel and a little redirection. This is what Moshe needed as well. Because Moshe misinterpreted the mission. He was leaning on his flesh instead of the spirit. He was operating under a spirit of flesh and fear. How many of you have done that? I know I have. And he ended up, he knew that salvation and deliverance would come to Israel. And he knew that he was called to be a part of that, but he misinterpreted the mission. He got in his flesh, he got carnal, and he thought it was going to be by his physical hand that he would deliver and save Israel by fleshly actions. But also the prophetic future of Israel is revealed right here in this piece of text too because what happens the israelites that were fighting they rejected moshe didn't they and they wanted nothing to do with him they considered him more egyptian than hebrew and thus moshe was actually their enemy what happened when israel was in the wilderness they rejected moshe and they wanted another leader. Well, I don't know what happened to this Moshe. Give us a golden calf, would you, Aaron? They rejected Moshe. And what happened later? Yahweh sent them the prophets. And the prophets reinforced Moshe. And the people rejected Moshe. And Stephen stands before the Sanhedrin. And it's the same thing. They are rejecting Moshe. Brethren, has the modern day church done the same thing as ancient Israel and rejected the teachings of Moses? There's nothing new under the sun. And the reason we're all here together is because we accept the teachings of Moshe. We accept, but we see it through the redemptive action of Yahusha because he circumcised us in our hearts because he is the circumcision without hands because he passed through the covenant of the pieces he is our Melchizedek high priest do you see the prophetic implications of our life and the time in which we live we're the very very people spoken of in these scriptures in the Bible so the ignorance of Israel, 
Their lack of spiritual awareness is the hallmark of Stephen's speech, isn't it? Isn't it? The man pushed Moshe aside in the book of Exodus, thereby indicting himself and establishing another failure of Israel that carries all the way through the prophets, the kings, to the speech of Stephen. Israel always pushed away Moshe. They always rejected Moshe. They rejected the prophets. And now Stephen is standing right before them and they're rejecting him also. Just as today the modern religious people reject the teachings of Moses. That is the way of the nations. That is the way of the Egyptians, but that is not the way of those that want to walk in the covenants of Yahuwah. Indicting themselves, this is just yet another failure of Israel that carries all the way through to Stephen's speech. The church has done the same thing. The church has followed ancient Israel in the pushing aside, the setting aside of the teachings of Moshe, thereby just like those men in Scripture, they have indicted themselves, have they not? And now we are seeing the consequences of it in our culture, rampant with immorality, rampant with compromise. Israel is not just ignorant, but rejects the very leaders whom Yahweh sends to help them, the prophets and here Stephen. This is a charge that is most serious and most grievous. Acts chapter 7 and the 37th verse now. This is that Moshe who said to the sons of Israel, Yahweh your Elohim shall do what? He shall raise you up a prophet from amongst your brothers. One like me shall hear him. And of course, he raising up, we're talking about the raising up of Yahusha. And now in the 38th verse of Acts chapter 7, we get to this piece of text. It's the book of the covenant mountain. Israel is now come out of Egypt, Exodus chapter 19. They arrive at the mountain and they say to Yahuwah, all that Yahuwah has said we shall do, they say to Moshe. And Moshe brings forth the covenant and it's called the book of the covenant specifically. And it comes with a proposal. Yahuwah proposes to Israel. I brought you out upon eagles' wings. And Yahuwah tells them and shows them all the glory. He proposes to Israel. And Israel agrees. Yes, all that, all that Yahuwah says, we, we, we accept that. Then there's blood ratification. And then the 70 elders go up the mountain and they have a covenant-confirming meal. So these four pieces have to be part of the Malkitetic covenants of promise. There has to be a proposal. There has to be an agreement to that proposal, an acceptance. There has to be blood ratification, and there has to be a covenant-confirming meal. Back in Genesis, what was the proposal? Yahuwah proposed to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. There was an agreement. Abraham came back with some doubts. So there was a 
conditional agreement attached to it. Then there was blood ratification, was there not? Definitely the flaying open of the pieces and a covenant confirming meal. Yes, because right a little bit later with Lot, you can see that they are sitting down and having unleavened bread in the very text. Here in Exodus chapter 19, we have the same four a proposal, agreement, blood ratification, and a covenant confirming meal. Yahushua comes along and he rides into Jerusalem and they lay out the palm fronds because he had already proposed to Israel as their Messiah. And they accepted him as Messiah, did they not? Oh, yes, they did. But then there is, of course, the blood ratification and the Passover covenant confirming meal and in the book of revelation we see the same four principles and it culminates of course with the marriage supper of the lamb it's always been about the Melchizedek covenant this is he who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at mount sinai and with our fathers who received the living words to give us but now in the 39th verse of acts chapter 7 Stephen tells us of the dastardly news that Israel breached everything. They blew all of these covenants of promise. They blew the book of the covenant because in the 39th verse we have the golden calf breach is brought forth here to whom our fathers would not be obedient but thrust him away and turn back again to Egypt in their hearts, saying to Aaron, make us gods to go before us. For as for this Moshe who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And then in the 43rd verse, we find in Acts chapter 7, yea, for you took up the tabernacle of Molech, and the star of your God, Ramphan. So you've got to beware of Molech, which of course is today typified with abortion, and the star of Ramphan, your God. The alleged, and I do say alleged, star of David. Get rid of the alleged star of David. It's not the star of David. That's the star of Rampham. And so many people fly that flag thinking, Oh, I'm Hebrew roots. I'm Messianic. I love... Hang on a minute. That's the star of Rampham. And they allege it's the star of David. It's No, it's the star of Rampham. It's been around for thousands of years. It's all part of the Babylonian mystery cult that got adopted by Judaism and then you just started drinking the Messianic Kool-Aid along with everybody else, especially after 1948. No, that is not biblical. The sign of our faith is the menorah, the seven-branch menorah. You want a flag? Put a seven-branch menorah on it. Put the Lion of Judah on it. But don't use the Star of David, because it's not the Star of David. That's to trick you. It's the Star of Ramphan, their God. There you go, I said it. Now I've lost some of you, because you're so offended. That's nah, truth. Divides.
Then we get into the 48th verse, and of course, the temple not without hands, but the Most High does not dwell in temples made with hands, as the prophet says, heaven is my throne in the earth. Well, that's my footstool. What house will you build me, says Yahuwah, for what is the place of my rest? Has not my hand made all these things? I want to just turn right here. It's a great point because I really believe it ties in. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 12. Because it was never about a temple made with hands. It was always about something so much greater. And if everybody's looking for the, oh, we've got to wait till the third temple's rebuilt, you're missing the whole point, and you'll be like the house of Ephraim that went out early, and you'll end up in a messianic mess. Hebrews 7.12, For the priesthood being changed, there is of necessity a change made in the Torah also. For he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe, from which no man gave attendance at the altar. For it is evident that our master sprang from Judah, of which tribe Moshe spoke nothing concerning the priesthood. And it is still far, far more evident, since there arises another Cohen after the likeness of Malkitzedek who is made not according to the law of fleshly commandments, that would be the book of the law, but according to the power of an endless life. That's Psalm 110. You are a Kohen, a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek, because Yahweh swore by his own oath, Genesis 12, nothing higher, for truly there is a putting away of the commandment which went before because the weakness and unprofitableness of it. The book of the law was for a time. It was a schoolmaster to lead you to Messiah. But once Messiah has come and brought you back into the book of the covenant, there is a setting aside Back to covenant Torah. Not a setting aside of Torah, heaven forbid. That's lawlessness. But there is the right dividing point of the word. As Peter speaks in Second Peter. For the law, the book of the law made nothing perfect. I would be a great meme. I think somebody should make a meme. The book of the law. I say that so often, but it's with such passion because the testimonies that I hear from people all over the world of how the Malkitzedic message and the dichotomy of the book of the law and the book of the covenant has delivered them from the shackles of religion to the freedom of Yahuwah's word is powerful. So I do get excited. Excuse me. You can make a meme if you want. For truly, there is the putting away of the commandment which went before because of the weakness and unprofitableness of it. For the book of the law, the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of Mashiach, a better hope did, by which we draw near to Yahweh, Hebrews 7.20. And inasmuch as he was not made priest without an oath, Genesis 12, Psalm 110. 
For the priests were made without an oath, but this one was made with an oath by him who said to him, Yahweh swore and will not repent. You are a Kohen forever after the order of Malkitzedek. Psalm 110, Genesis 12 connection. And they truly were many priests because they were not allowed to continue because of death. But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is able also to save to the uttermost those who come unto Yahuwah by him, since he ever lives to make intercession for us. That's our life. This is our faith. But then we get to the 51st verse of Acts chapter 7, and the problem that we always find is those who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised of heart. Oh, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Ruach HaKodesh, as your fathers did, so you do. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? I mean, for heaven's sake, you saw Isaiah the prophet in half on a hobby horse for crying out loud. And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one of whom you have now been the betrayers and the murderers who received the Torah through the disposition of angels. But you didn't keep it. And hearing these things, they were cut to their very hearts. And they gnashed their teeth, didn't they? Those rotters. But they were being full of the Ruach HaKodesh. Him being full of the Ruach HaKodesh, looking up intently. You see Stephen's death right here? It's a bookend. It's a fulcrum point, if you will, as well. That will launch the fulfillment of the Great Commission. This launches the Great Commission. That's the fulcrum. But it is the first bookend as well. Because what we'll see is the false prophet of Revelation 19.20 is the last day's bookend to this story. And we are in the midst of it towards the last bookend where false prophets abound and false witnesses abound. And just as there was a false leader that was voted in, Caiaphas, we have come to the apex of false testimony life where a false leader has been voted in and the deception and fraud is abound and accepted by the majority rule, mob rule. And injustice and mob judgment, vigilante judgment is here. What are you going to do? You're going to stand still and see the glory of Yahuwah. Because we are between these two big bookends. Stephen, of course, the true witness. And now we are thrust, pressed right up against the end times of Revelation 19.20 when the false prophet and the false witness will be cast into the lake of fire. And we're just seeing it manifested all over our television screens 
all over our society this week specifically. It is vigilante justice. Just as this is vigilante justice. Acts chapter 7 verse 55, we see, of course, Yahushua standing. He was sitting at the right hand of Yahweh, Psalm 110 verse 5. But now he is standing at the right hand of Yahweh because he is standing for the first martyr of the faith. Hebrews 7.11, it is written, But Mashiach has now become a Kohen Hagadol of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tent of meeting, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation. He offered himself without blemish to Yahuwah, purifying your conscience from dead works. Those dead works were the book of the law. But now we get to serve the living Yahuwah. Verse 15 of Hebrews 7 and for this cause, he is the mediator of the Brit Hadashah, the new covenant. He doesn't say he's the mediator of the new law, the new book of the law. No, he's mediator of the new covenant. You can't renew a covenant. You have to make a totally new covenant. And it's going to be by better blood. And that new covenant, remember, was conditional. Because Genesis 12 is always standing. Because it was unconditional. But the conditional arm was Genesis 15, which had a death penalty position. And once that was breached with the golden calf, then somebody had to die. Moshe offered himself. He said, you know, take me. But no, he didn't pass as a burning torch. Yahushua died, thus fulfilling the Genesis 15 covenant arm, which was conditional with the death penalty position. So now we get to be the beneficiaries of the Genesis 12 promise and return back into the covenant through a better circumcision, through better blood, and it is assured because it is sworn by Yahweh's mouth himself. And now we live in an unconditional blessing. It's an assurance. It's a better hope. It's a better promise. It's a better blood. There is no way to get back to the promise of Genesis 12 without the blood of Yahushua. It is impossible because he is the burning torch and he is the circumcision made without hands. That truth has been hidden for thousands of years and we've got into this Christmas and Easter and Jesus and this very truth of covenant. And then, you know, we got into the messianic movement and it was all about the law and the next thing you're feeling like, oh, I'm supposed to be a... I'm supposed to be like, you know, the rabbinic Jews and I'm supposed to, you know, do... And it all becomes burdensome and oppressive. No! We're to live by the power of the Holy Spirit in the freedom of Yahuwah's covenant Torah. It's not a burden. It's a blessing. We do everything in the book of the covenant from Genesis 1 all the way through to, of course... 
Exodus chapter 24, verse 11, when there's the breach, but I get ahead of myself. Because in the 55th verse of chapter 7, he saw the glory of Elohim and Yahushua standing at the right hand. And then in the 58th verse, we see that the witnesses laid their clothes down at the feet of a young man named Shaul. The scripture is very clear to identify that he was a young man and that his name was Shaul. He was probably around 18 years old at the time. Why doesn't he throw a stone? Because according to Jewish law of the Sanhedrin, he was too young to bear witness and throw a stone. According to the book of Numbers, you would have to be 20 years old. Therefore, he was watching over the tunics which would have held the money purses because he was there as an attendant to one of the members of the Sanhedrin. And who would have that been? Gamliel. So he was an official witness. He was just a young 18-year-old attendant to Gamliel. He was too young to bear the witness burden and cast the stones. So he guarded the tunics with the money purses. And this is our introduction to Shaul. And then finally we see the beauty of Stephen and he says, as should our testimony be when our day comes. Master Yahushua, receive my spirit. That should be all of our testimony. Practice that because we must perfect it for the life of transfiguration that awaits us. Of course, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11, I'll give you some scriptures to back this up and conclude the matter because this is such a powerful piece of text. Spend much time meditating in it yourself. 2 Corinthians 3.11, it is written, For if that which was done away was glorious, much more that which remains is glorious. What remains? Genesis 12 always remained. Always. What was done away with? The handwriting that was against us, the book of the law. That doesn't mean the Torah is done away with, heaven forbid. It's just a return to covenant Torah. Abraham never knew the book of the law. Isaac never knew the book of the law. The patriarchs never knew the book of the law. They were Torah obedient, but they were obedient to covenant Torah. The book of the law was added for transgression. It was a schoolmaster because they broke the covenant. And you're supposed to keep the book of the law and be under its tutorage and its little minutia because it was a fence until the seed would come, pay the death penalty position of Genesis 15. Then you were freed from that schoolmaster and finally able back to return in a new covenant to the Genesis 12 blessing. You're back in the Malkitzedic priesthood because you have a Malkitzedic mediator and high priest that did it all for you. And he prayed that the passing between the pieces would pass from him. And he wept in the garden. But it did not pass from him. 
he fulfilled the death penalty position so you and I could live a life forever in glory. For this is written in 2 Corinthians in the 13th verse, not as Moshe who put a veil over his face that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which was abolished. Of course, you can reference that with Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. And of course, the book of the law now being abolished, not Torah, but the schoolmaster, so you can return back to full, full covenant. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 10 tells us that the book of the law were the carnal ordinances that were imposed upon Israel until the time of Reformation, when the seed would come to take us back to the promises. And 2 Corinthians 3, verse 13, it is written, Not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which was abolished, for their minds were blinded, as many still today. For until this day remaineth, the same veil is still undertaken when people read the Old Testament. Oh, it's all done away with. Or, oh, we've got to do it all and be Levitical and be Jewish and follow Judaism. And No, you're missing the whole point of the covenant. We have a Malkitzedic priest. We're not under Levitical ordinances. They were the tutor until this great transference of priesthood happened. Look, we live, brethren, in, in, in conclusion. We live in a time that is a macrocosm of Acts chapter 7. This is the time of the war of the witnesses. If you can't see that today, where have you been? Do not be discouraged that we are surrounded by a multitude of false witnesses because really the book of Hebrews tells us that we are also surrounded by a multitude of heavenly witnesses. And that is what I believe. And that is the triumph and a victory that we have. And I got that testimony vision this week, myself, and from Sister Tamara. That she said that she saw a multitude of heavenly witnesses around me. And I know that I experienced that this week. Evil and wickedness always follows after false witness testimony so buckle up evil will always follow after such false witness testimony and this began with Stephen and brethren we are coming into the final bookend which will ultimately end up with the false witness being cast the false prophet into the lake of fire but this week in America, we saw the testimony and fruit of false witnesses and fraud. What's the answer? The answer is to stand and present your witness. Tell the story of your Elohim. Tell the story of your people. I am 
a Nazarene Israelite. I am Yahuwah's child. I am the seed of Abraham. Until Yahuwah becomes your Elohim, until Yahuwah becomes my Elohim, and until Israel becomes your people, and until Israel becomes my people, until we realize we are the seed of Abraham, we will always struggle. But when you apprehend that, you are powerfully free. Never plea your innocence. Because by making a plea, you are guilty. Just state the truth of who you are, that you are living flesh and blood, and you are not surety for a decedent. What do you do when the whole process is rigged, brethren? What do you do when all you see are false witnesses all around you? Well, I'm afraid to inform you that it moves into vigilante justice at its worst. In Acts chapter 7, which of course is the microcosm, and now today we are in the macrocosm, are we not? The macrocosm of vigilante justice and false witnesses. So this time is no more important in the history of mankind to press into Yahusha, who is the way, the truth, and the light, the life. Everything else is propaganda. Everything else can be skewed. Press into the word that is living and the power of the Holy Spirit, and you never make a plea. You just stand and you witness the truth of who you are, who your people are, and who Yahweh your Elohim is. Our government, our nation, our society has convicted itself as it has demonstrated to us that it chooses to believe the testimony of false witnesses and install a false prophet over us. I do not accept that in my life. There's essentially two charges against Stephen, and we'll conclude with these. Number one, that Stephen is saying blasphemous things against the law of Moses involving something to do with changing the customs passed on. And number two, that Stephen is speaking against the temple and in particular that Yahushua would destroy it. Do you believe that? If you believe that, then you've aligned yourself with the camp of the false witness. But Stephen, like you and I, he doesn't plea. He doesn't cop a plea. He just stands and presents his own true witness. And you have the right to speak for yourself. I'm not representing myself. Oh, you'll represent. I don't represent myself. Are you kidding? I have the right to speak for myself. I speak for myself. Don't ever answer somebody else's spin. Don't answer somebody else's trumped-up charges.
just stand and witness that you are living souls and that you serve a living Elohim and that you are not part of a dying world because we have a different government that has been ordained by the Malkitzedic master himself and it is upon his shoulders and he has returned us back to the patriarchal era of the Genesis 12 covenant blessings. That's our surety. It has already been done. Everything else is just gravy. I'm telling you, we live in powerful times and this right here manifests to me the presence of Yahuwah in my life and I pray in your life that he is with us we just stand and see the glory of Yahuwah and let the rest fall where it falls. We can't control that. But what we can control is our testimony and our life. Amen. Baruch Hashem Yahuwah. Let's put the spectacles on and see what you guys have got going on in the chit chat. All right. If you want me to pick up on some chit chat, then give us a red line. Give us a red line and let's see. I was on the Shabbat Fellowship this morning. It was super. It was super. Let's see where you are here. Oh, did I run out of power? No, I've got power. Okay, let's get rid of this. Yeah, so we can. There we go. All right. Okay, red line. Hallelujah, Libby Tube, 2 Corinthians 3.11. For if that which is passing away was esteemed, much more that which remains in esteem. Baruch Hashem, Yahuwah, we do live in amazing times. We do. Let's see what you guys have got here. The chit-chat. Oh, you guys were busy today. Christine Beamer got to chat with Christine today on the Shabbat Fellowship. She says, once one sees the true gospel message, modern day Christianity seems so cheap and empty. Well, it really does. It really does because it's just, it's just, oh yeah, I think you just said it perfectly. McCarty clan, Shabbat Shalom, McCarty clan, Shalom, Shalom. Brother Matthew, she says, did I miss it? Tell us more about your and Tamara's vision of, of witnesses. Oh, yes, oh, yes. No, I, I have actually got to um, get together with um, Tamara. It's not my Tamara, it's Tamara Salerno, Mario's Tamara, and um, talk to her. Because she just sent it to me in a text, but we, you know, it's, she's busy, I'm busy, and we will connect. We will connect, won't we, Sister Tamara? And then I will find out more about such wonderful things. Chris in FEMA Region 4 says, Was the golden calf built to Molech or Yah? If Yah, why a calf? P.S. I dig the flannel. It beats sweater vest any day. Oh, stop it, Chris. You're taking the mickey. Um, well, what it was, really, if you look back, is they had got so used to the Apis bull, 
when they were in Egypt that they got used to that symbol of familiarity. It was a familiar spirit. And therefore, they had Aaron do, um, bring out the image, the familiar image of the Apis bull. Um, and they were worshipping it as Yah on their own day of their own making. Just as we had been taught to bring out the image of of Ishtar with eggs and bunnies and bare-breasted fertility Easter, and we were doing it unto Jesus on a different day of our own making. It's all of the same origin. Thank goodness we have been delivered from such pagan sun god worship. My goodness. Shabbat Shalom, Angela, bonjour, bonjour to you, je m'appelle Mathieu. See, I do remember a little bit of French. What does Stephen's name mean in Hebrew? I think you shared it in a past teaching. I did, and it escapes me right now. Zephania, Zephania. Oh, um, Zephania, I would imagine, righteous of Yah. But I would have to double check there. Bill Crane, Shabbat Shalom, Billy. No, he's not called Billy, is he? I mean, he may be offended that I called him Billy. It could be like somebody calling me Matty. And the only people that call me Matty is my sister and a couple of uncles. And that's about it. I don't like it at all. So, um, Matthew, can you give the name of the legal Bible that you mentioned this morning on the chat? I had some, it had something to do with the Queen. It did. It was Queen Victoria's, I believe it is the long primer edition of the King James. Let me find it for you. If, uh, ah, yes, here we go. No, no, no. Uh, yeah, I believe it was the Long Primer King James Bible, and I think you can get it on kingjamesversion.com or something like that. Um, let me see. Long Primer. Yes, you can get it at the King James of K, the KJVstore.com. And if you want to make legal, lawful, not legal, I am corrected, lawful recordings of your family so you don't have to go and beg the privilege from the state, then you can get the King James Version, Allen Long Primer Edition. It comes in a green Mareva calfskin. It comes in a brown Mareva calfskin, a red Mareva calfskin. And it is fabulous, and it is a lawful recording that stands up in any court of law, because it is the authorized by Queen Victoria. And of course, in America, we are still under British Admiralty rule. Okay? So don't give me any of that mumbo jumbo legalese nonsense that these clowns are all following because they are the priests and prophets in their black robes, aren't they, of Baal? Anyway, Matthew, calm down, would you? You're crying out Michelle, Shabbat Shalom, Michelle Alowitz, an, 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 
an analogy early in teaching that the kings and the prophets came before Joshua takes them into the promised land. But the kings and the prophets were after entry into the land. The kings and the prophets were after entry in the land. Did I do a double speak? It's possible that I did. I get so carried away. Much more truth. Shabbat shalom down there in the panhandle of the panhandle land. And he says, if we are chosen to be martyrs, what advice would you give to best prepare us? Do you think Stephen felt the pain or him gazing at um, Yahushua helped it to subside? Oh, oh, I've got such a fabulous book at home. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, you know I love to read his stuff. He was a, a, a martyr and his works are very encouraging. But I have the book of the martyrs at home and I can't remember who wrote it. It's like John, John Fox, Book of the Martyrs. Thank you. That's old school Christian, isn't it? We were doing that back in the 18th, 19th century, weren't we? Very traditional, orthodox, you know, little house on the prairie preacher stuff. John Fox, Book of the Martyrs. There you go. Thank you, preacher Don. All right. Julia has got a very serious question here. Um, does Marmite go bad? I just got a lovely big tub of Marmite this week. I'm so excited about it. It doesn't go bad. It lasts forever. It is eternal. And that is why I feel so youthful, because my body is full of Marmite. Silly question, but somebody posed it, so I answered it. So there you go. To overstand, I love that, I love that username because we do not understand. Do you understand? That's what they always try to use. Do you understand? No, I do not understand. I overstand because otherwise you're saying in contract that you stand under them. No, I overstand. In fact, you need to understand what I'm talking about. Let's switch it here. So I love to overstand if today's man-made synthesized Drugs can turn off pain receptors. In the mighty name of Yahushua, it is possible we in martyrdom. Of course, I believe, personally, that um, when they were burnt at the stake back in the time of Queen Mary and some of the great, great early Christian leaders were. And they, I believe that Yahweh gives you Fox Book of the Martyrs. Thank you, Donna Worrell. I think he gives us what's called... Dying grace, dying grace, dying grace, definitely. Hallelujah, Baruch Hashem, Yahweh Elohinu, watch out, Gabriella Taylor Fair, she's lighting it up. She says it is the Bolshevik revolution, is very much alive and kicking well in the U.S. of A. Gabriella Taylor Fair, thank you so much, you are so aware. Kristen, I don't know if I should read Chris and FEMA Region 4. He's going to be going on on my clothing again for crying out loud. Um, where is Passover this year? I am ready to celebrate. Well, that is a, the great question, isn't it? I mean, what are we doing? Where are we going? I mean, what happens? You want to get on a plane and be accosted and deal with all that? Maybe. I don't know. Man, we've got to bring that to prayer because it's coming up fast. And um, what is Marmite made from? It's made from yeast extract, Chris. So, yeah, highly recommend it. 
recommend it, definitely. Give us a red line here, somebody, please. All right, I'll have a sip while you guys think of a great question. I think I saw Shiloh on here. Where's Shiloh? Oh, I saw Kevin Niebling. Come on, Kevin. Shabbat Shalom, Niebling clan up there in the northern Oregon hemisphere. Hidden in Yahuwah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, yeah. Uh, To overstand says Stephen means crown in the Greek. Thank you. Um, Kevin Niebling, Yahuwah hides. Thank you, thank you. Diesel Grandpa, Shabbat Shalom up there in the Snohomish lands up yonder. That is the correct Bible. I think Diesel Grandpa got one of the long primers, didn't you, Diesel? Yes, I think he did, he did. Yeah, here's a great one from T4 People. Torah to the tribes. Abar can also mean pass to pass through. Is it possible that Yahushua called for this cup to pass it to him? Hebrews 5, 7. He was heard. 2 Corinthians 1, 19. He was yes and only always. I think I said that, didn't I? I hope I did. That's what I was hoping to say. But I get so excited, you know, I can't even tell after the time. Michelle Alowitz, Baruch Hashem, Michelle, hallelujah. She says, an analogy. Oh, no, we already said that, didn't we? All right, I've gone back on myself. What am I doing here? What am I doing? Oh, yeah. Uh, Mark Schroy says, Shabbat Shalom, Brother Matthew. Did you get your vaccination shots yet? L-O-L. Well, they do have the National Guard down at the armory trying to do it. Who would have ever thought you had the blooming National Guard jacking people up? I mean, unbelievable, right? Unbelievable. Please, they most probably have Kool-Aid when you when you uh, part of the program. Come in, drink the Kool-Aid. Here, you know, some, have some biscuits and um, proceed down the line. And oh, by the way, if you come back for your second shot, we've got some more Kool-Aid for you. Then if you go through the barbed wire, don't worry about the checkpoint. We've got some lovely beds in there, real nice comfy cots, some nurses. They'll read you a nice bedtime story. Guess what? There's going to be some lovely medi- um, them heated meals, the, the ready-made meals. We'll have those for you. Don't worry. It's going to be fabulous in here. We'll have a guest speaker come in, talk to you all about Bolshevism and everything. You'll love it. And then, guess what? Guess what? Guess what? Then, then, the really exciting thing is you won't have to ever work again because we're going to deliver to you a cryptocurrency. We're going to take it and give it directly to you in your personal wallet. And it will be pre-programmed. And you'll have to spend it on what we tell you to spend it. And then if you don't spend it on that, it won't work. And then it'll be restricted. And basically, we'll be able to manipulate your behavior because the whole Federal Reserve System is crashing around us. And they are now, with the reset, bringing us into a new currency. It's going to be digital tokens. It is Ready Player Real One, that Steven Spielberg movie. They totally, of course, telegraphed it for us. 
What an amazing time. How did I get into that? I don't know. Let me get back to Vegemite. Alan in Australia. Vegemite is nowhere near as good as Marmite. The Australians counterfeited the true Marmite. Okay, it's like Bovril. You know, if you've had Bovril, that's it's pretty good, but it's not as good as Marmite. I've tried Vegemite. you really got to come back to the homeland. Of course, Australia being the former penal colony of Great Britain, you couldn't really afford, you know, as prisoners to imp... And there the bell goes before I put my foot in my mouth. I'm just having fun. I love Australians. I've never been there, but I would like to go there. But now maybe I can't. I'm sure they'd have me on quarantine. I'm sure. And now that I've offended the Vegemite, my goodness. It's all fun, isn't it? It's all fun. Let's end up with a good one from Colin Speak. Do we see the rabbinical Noahide laws playing out sooner than later? I don't think the Noahide laws have anything to do with it. I think that's a Jonathan Kahn propaganda myself. I'm not buying it. I think there is a lot more reality going on right here in our midst than there is in any of these Noahide laws messianic propaganda. That's just me. You guys think about it yourself. But here we go. Mark Schroy says, I'm sure you heard about Bill Gates brought a bunch of farmland. There is something definitely going on there. Of course there is. Because this is a computer. This is actually a Mac. But we know, of course, Mr. Gates created a body computer. And computers get viruses. And viruses then make the computer workers susceptible to want to get an upgrade and a download and then it's programmable matter and then basically they're in control of your body computer that's why of course bill gates the computer technician is in charge of the vaccination program because it's all about putting a virus technology into the body computer Think about that. That's how we'll end with a bit of spooky spooks because it is Torah to the tribes and you know I like to get into the funnies as we go through the scripture because the Bible is real, Yahuwah is true and every man is a rotter and a liar if he does not accept that Yahuwah is on the throne and that Yahushua is at his right hand. That is my witness. That is my testimony. And I care not what the false witnesses say. I will not defend myself. I will stand just like Stephen and see the glory of Yahuwah. And the sooner that happens, the better as far as I am concerned. Because this earth, this world is not my home. And the more that I spend in it, the faster I want to be transfigured out of it. I have a hope and a glory, and it is coming quickly. Come, Yahushua, come. Isn't that your prayer? I pray it is. At this point, guys and girls, dig into the word. Like Yaakov, James, get on your knees, get some calluses, and join us next week, hopefully live here on Shabbat. Hey, give us some thumbs up. Subscribe, subscribe, hit the notification bell.
Do it all. It's good. It's good for you. It's good for us. It's good for the community. And leave some comments in the chats below and keep it kosher. Edify one another. Baruch Habah Habashem. Yahuwah.